That's not ideal, is it, that noise? I was just really to wake you all up. Uh, that's all it was. Well, welcome to church. My name is Mark. Uh, I'm the minister, one of the ministers, the senior pastor, rector here. And it's just great to see you all. Uh, it really is. What a joy. Uh, and uh, some of you have been away on holidays and I haven't seen you for a while. And others of you are visiting here for the first time. Uh, it's just great. We're so delighted you're here. Uh, welcome back to Prema with Estella. Just beautiful to see you back from uh, having a baby. Yeah, bring it on. Lots of babies in church, which is just so exciting. Uh, it's so very, very exciting. Uh, now, uh, before I start with the um, sermon, there's been a lot, I don't know if you've noticed, a lot going on in Parliament around the um, uh, reform of abortion bill and so on, and, and I don't know if you're expecting me to say anything. Um, some churches have got very involved and others are less so. Uh, I, I don't plan to say much. Um, just go and ha- I have a public Facebook profile. Go have a look what I posted on Facebook if you're interested, and if you're not on Facebook, you'd want to see what I wrote there. Have a look at that. Um, I, I am struggling with a bit of a vulnerability hangover from what I posted there. Um, but I think it captures what's on my heart. And if you want, and if you've got friends who may be like, oh, you know, what do you, what do you think about abortion and so on? Or what is your church's view? I don't even know if those are discussions in your circle. Um, and if you find it helpful, you could go, hey, this is what our minister wrote. And uh, you could put that out. Uh, or you could read it and go, a load of rubbish. I completely disagree with what Mark said. And there's no way I'm going to share that with anyone. And that's also okay. Uh, it really was kind of just... I felt compelled to write it. So I did. So there we go. Okay. Um, uh, that said, uh, let's, let's just say a word of prayer and then get into, um, into this text and into thinking. Lord God, uh, speak to us now. Uh, we're all coming at this from, from life, from all different journeys and backgrounds. And Uh, We want to flourish, Lord. We want to grow. We want to be whole beings. So help us hear from you and connect with you deeply, I pray, Lord. Amen. So, uh, you know, there are two things that our brains are hardwired to. uh, We're constantly scanning the environment. And at a very primal level, we're hardwired to look for things that will do two things for us. One that will help us survive. So in kind of evolutionary biological terms, we're always looking, what is out there to help us survive? Where's danger to avoid, positive things to have? Uh, And um, the second thing is, uh, the uh, second thing is we're always looking, not just for things that'll help us survive, but things that'll actually help us thrive and flourish. And uh, you can see this in our world because if you go online, you will see that the world, or the online world, is full of people giving us advice on how to survive and how to thrive, how to flourish. There's all kinds of advice, isn't there, about what you need to flourish. The personal development market is like a $60 billion market. Um, self-help is huge, isn't it? So um, now here's, a, here's an interesting statistic for you. Um, what is the most accurate predictor of whether somebody will purchase a self-help book, either digitally or in... What's the, what's the most accurate predictor of the likelihood of someone purchasing a self-help book? 
Have they purchased one before? That's right. If you have purchased a self-help book in the last six months, you are likely to purchase another one. Why? Because it didn't help you that much. It's really hard to grow and develop. (laughs) And uh, there's a relentless need in us. So here's how I come at life, and I invite you to think about this. Um, Why not listen to Jesus when it comes to growth and surviving and thriving? Uh, I just think he's a little wiser and smarter and more insightful than like Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop, you know. He's he's not actually trying to sell us anything. His wisdom has stood 2,000 years of testing and people in all cultures from all backgrounds, rich and poor and male and female and all orientations and perspectives and walks have found in Jesus the key to growth and to life, to survive and to thrive. And, uh, and so that's our approach. And, and we think it makes sense. I think it makes sense. The Christian assumption is Jesus actually is not just a person, but he's also the one who made us, the God who made us. So when he gives us advice and shows us how to live, like it just makes an enormous amount of sense to take him with the utmost seriousness. And what he is going to talk about, what he's talking about in this parable is answering this question, how do we grow spiritually? How do we survive and how do we thrive spiritually? Uh, one of the things that I, that I like about the self-help movement and one of the good things is that it started, there's been this shift in our culture over the last 30 years where people are recognizing that it's not just enough to get rich and successful and to have all the material things sorted. There is a, isn't there? There's an awareness now. Ah, oh, there's a whole spiritual dimension and relational dimension and a touchy-feely emotional dimension. And, and you've got to address that stuff as well. And that's what Jesus does. He says, how do you grow spiritually? And he tells this very interesting story, doesn't he? I mean, it's very simple. He says, well, you know, as a farmer and you know, it's pre-industrial farming, and he sprinkles his seed by hand, and, you know, Israel's mixed soil and rocky and paths, and, and he just goes out and he sprinkles his soil. And, uh, and, what, does he, and, and, and what, what does he discover as he sprinkles the soil? He says, um, the farmer sows the word, some are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And of course others... Like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. And I think, which kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody who actually is fruitful, someone whose life thrives in the kind of abundance that Jesus has on view here? How profound in our impact in the world, in our wholeness, in, in the way we bless others. I assume that's what most of us want. And so Jesus gives us some great... Uh, teaching on how to grow spiritually. And he says, spiritual growth takes three things. Actually, when you read the Gospels, which are really the historic accounts of Jesus' life, he uses metaphors from farming a lot because it was a farming culture. Um, So uh, you need three things to grow spiritually, don't you? You need seed, you need soil, and you need a sower. Seed, soil, and sower. 
So we're going to think about each of those and think about our interaction with each of those and what God might be saying to us about how each of us could grow spiritually. So, the seed. Well, first question to ask is, what is it? What's the seed in the Jesus story? And Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, uh, if you go right back to the start of the gospel, the gospel is really an announcement uh, of, about Jesus. And uh, the whole of the gospel of Mark is really a book telling us that uh, this is about the news of the reality of Jesus, who he is, what he's come to do, what his effect on the world is, and how he brings to us the kingdom of God, the presence and the reality of God, and makes that available to us. Um, but it's more than that. As the rest of the Bible goes on, the seed that is sown in this world is actually more than just words in the abstract or, or verbal proclamation. The word is actually the life of Jesus Christ himself. So uh, it, it, one of the ways the Bible describes Jesus is as the word of God. So the word and this, all these very, it's a very clever document, the Bible, and very well written piece of literature. And, and there's all these word plays and associations and connections. And the connection it makes is, well, the word is the seed that is sown, but the word is actually nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. So it seems to be that there is, that, that the heart of uh, a spiritual growth, the starting point of spiritual growth, is nothing less than having the very energy, the life, the power, the presence of Jesus as the creator actually implanted in us, which is quite remarkable. Um, quite remarkable. And what does this do? What does this seed do? Well, it brings new life, new birth. That's what seed does, doesn't it? I mean, I, I'll give you a, a word of confession here. Um, I am a very poor gardener. Like, I basically hate gardening because um, it just takes so much time and it's a, and you never, there's no guaranteed outcomes. You, you know, you, and, there's, and the weeds always grow faster than the plants. And it's, it's a, who's got time for that, right? Um, I like the results of gardening when other people do it. It might be growing up in Africa where we had gardeners to do all that sort of work and you just stood on the, you know, you sat on the veranda next to the pool watching the gardeners do the work and just enjoying the fruit of their labor. That may be something to do with it, but, you know, who knows. Um, but here's what I know about, about gardens, right? If you don't plant seed in the soil, it won't just spontaneously generate. Like it actually needs the seed to actually generate. And what Jesus is saying is that he himself, uh, this seed of the message about himself, brings a new life, new birth even to us. So this is how other parts of the Bible talk about it. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Like, that's a rat born again. There's, there wasn't life, now there is life. And it's not through just a human injection. It's like there's something eternal that has come into us, this living and enduring word of God. In First John it says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go, in, go on sinning because he's been born of God. 
And in James 1, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he has created. So the seed is the good news, it's the life of Christ himself, and it brings new life, new birth to us. So, oh, that's all very good. What does that actually mean? Here are some implications. And this is quite confronting, but bear with me. This is how Jesus describes us. It, the implication of this is we are spiritually dead. We're actually like barren ground spiritually. And therefore, we need God from the outside to implant something in us Neither, nothing we contribute in and of ourselves out of our own humanity can cause spiritual growth. And there are two things that we typically think can cause us to grow spiritually or flourish in the fullness of our being. The first one is religion. Now, we're all here at church, so somehow we're fond of religion or we have some sense that it's important to us. A very natural human tendency is to think, you know what, the way I grow spiritually is by I come along and I do what's right and I worship God and I turn up at church and I may even put some money in church and I restrain my desires and I'm a good person and I do what's right for God and that's what's going to help me grow spiritually. And Jesus says, uh, no, it won't. Because you're dead, right? So, so you, need, you need something implanted in you. Our religion growing out of a barren soil without the very life of God appointed in us, all our good works actually don't help us connect with God, don't help us thrive, don't help us grow, because they're really an expression of deadness. That's what Jesus says. We, need a, we, we can't just improve ourselves. We can't work our way to God. We can't apply human effort. The, the problem is we're too dead. The, the ground is too barren, according to Jesus. It needs seed from heaven to break into our hearts. And that can be really confronting for us because we're used to thinking that religion is the way we grow. And Jesus says, no, no, there's something uh, far more profound going on than that. Uh, but, of course, the other side of religion in our culture, if you, if you reject religion and self-discipline and doing what's right, the other way we're encouraged to grow is through self-expression, isn't it? So we're a, um, an expressivist uh, culture. That is to say, when you read so much of the self-help literature, when you listen to so much advice... What will they say you need to do to really flourish and grow? Well, you've got you've to be yourself. You've got to look inside yourself, find who you really are, and give expression to that. doesn't matter what it is. Don't let anyone else constrain you or limit you. But real humanity, real life is found as you give expression to your deepest desires. Right? And... And, and it can be dressed up in all kinds of ways, but, but self-expression is the great good and the path to life. And, uh, and that's very um, alluring. Like it's very enticing, isn't it? Because, quite frankly, I quite love the idea of being able to express myself and be just whoever I am. 
Don't you like that idea? Well, not of me doing that, but of you doing that. <laughs> and and it, at one level, uh, isn't self-expression better than repression? If religion is experienced as repression and crushing who we really are, then self-expression is a better path, isn't it? Well, except Jesus again says, no, it's, it's actually a path that leads nowhere. It certainly doesn't lead to spiritual growth because um, <laughs> it actually doesn't work. Think about it for a moment. Um, if we all, if the path to spiritual growth is unfettered self-expression, free of all external constraints, um, that only works as long as I can do what I want and you can do what you want, but they never actually bump into each other in a competitive sense. <laughs> but of course, what happens when my desires conflict with your desires? Who's going to win? Right? Well, me. Or you. I mean, you know, that's what happens, right? We, our desires and our self-expressions inevitably conflict. And then what do we do? In fact, we discover that it's, it's a source of conflict. Have you ever tried to run a family where you say to everybody, what really matters for you is self-expression? Have you tried parenting like that? I see lots of people trying to parent like that. It's nuts. It's a whole bunch of desires you simply want your kids not to express like rage and hatred and selfishness. I mean, these are things you say, no, spiritual growth is not self-expression. You need, you need something else. We need something else. Um, we are spiritually dead, Jesus says. It's, it's stark. Um, and neither religion nor self-expression can save us. We need, we need God himself to break in. There is nothing within us that provides the seed for eternal life, for true human flourishing, like it's got to come from God, according to Jesus. Uh, so that's the seed. We need seed. We need someone to break into our lives. We need God to come in and change us, right? To birth something in us. But then you also need soil in the story of Jesus. And I love the story of Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and there's soil in this text... And, and the, way, the way I thought we could think about it is um, there are four types of soil, and the first three give us negative examples of how not to grow. So if, uh, if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, well, I really am not very interested in spiritual growth. Uh, a, um, it's wonderful that you're here even though you don't want to grow. That's, that's good. A little confusing, but good. Um, but... But if you, I think we all actually want to grow. So what Jesus does really helpfully for us is he says, just avoid doing these three things. And actually, they're pretty all-encompassing. If you avoid those things and then do the one thing, you know what? You'll grow. It'll happen for you. So let's have a think about the three ways not to grow. The first way is uh, do not be impervious. Do not be impervious. Don't have a Teflon soul. Don't be deaf to what God is saying. Uh, what, is, uh, what does he mean by that? Well, verse um, 5, he says, uh, Some seed falls on rocky places. Um, uh, uh, verse 4, he scattered the seed. Some fell on the path. The birds came and ate it up. It fell on rocky places. 
and there was there, it, it just could not penetrate the surface, so it was vulnerable. It was uh, a, in a place where um, it couldn't take root. Verse fifteen, he makes this very clear. Um, so I don't know. Have you ever have you ever had a conversation with someone? Maybe even in your marriage or your parenting, where you just think, uh, I don't know. My mum used to say this to me. She said, "I'm talk. I'm just. I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but you're just not hearing what I'm saying." Have you ever had those conversations with someone? You go, they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and they just—it's like everything you say just bounces off them. And it's Teflon's hearts. Uh, and we can be like that, can't we? I mean, I, we can all have very selective hearing. <laughs> we don't want to hear stuff that we don't want to hear. And uh, the problem, Jesus says, is that um, you and I can choose to really be hard towards God. We can hear it, and we can hear it, and we can hear it. And we can just go, nah, nah, not for me. I don't want that. And, you know, you, you may be sitting here this morning having that same response. And you're like, nah, nah, I don't really want God. And that's, and, and that's a tragedy. But, but this, in this, I, and I, I'm not sure why God does this, but he respects us profoundly. Like God takes our free will, our choices with the utmost seriousness. So in some mysterious way, maybe it's like a good parent, God gives us the ability to be impervious and just not to listen. So if you, if you want to grow spiritually, um, the first thing you've got to do is avoid being impervious. Avoid having a Teflon soul that nothing sticks to. Avoid being deaf. Um... It's interesting. I mean, I wonder sometimes why we would do that. I mean, I know I, there's a bit of me that does that as well. Why don't I want to hear from God? Why do we keep our souls hard towards God? I don't think we're scared. Or we're, we're scared that maybe he's going to make us miserable. <laughs> if, I, if I let God in, he's going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. You know? Um, we're proud sometimes, aren't we? Um, I know, um, I just know in my human relationships, to actually let someone else's words in requires humility on my part. Like a sense that I don't know everything. <laughs> That's maybe not a problem for you, but sometimes I find myself thinking I know a lot about a lot, <laughs> and I'm not going to listen to you. You go, no, no, no. That's just pride that makes my heart hard to others. So it needs to be soft. Otherwise, I'm not going to grow. I'm just going to be like rocky soil. Uh, God comes to us, and he just bounces off or is snatched away. The other thing we don't want to do is be shallow. And I I mean, I find this interesting that actually there's an implication here. We're responsible for the state of, the own, of our hearts, right? Uh, 
for the soil in our souls. Our souls are like the soil. So, so don't be shallow. And, and I don't mean shallow in a just a, you know, you're like the Kardashians kind of shallow. That may also not be a good thing spiritually, but I don't know because I don't know. Um, but uh, look at this. Um, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. So there are people who, who get very excited very quickly at a new idea and a new burst. They, they've bought and, and they can come into church like this or they can hear the Christianity they, about and they go, it's just like the latest personal development self-help thing they've heard. And they're, oh, it's fantastic. But like the shallow person is a person who goes, who treats Jesus like just any other self-help guru. And I've bought the product, I've read the book, I give it a go for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then I move on to the next thing. Like, you treat Jesus like a fad diet. Well, I did the low-carb diet, and I didn't see amazing transformative results with no effort overnight, and so now I've moved on to the next diet, or whatever it is. Or I... I read this latest self-help book and it gave me three steps to an amazing successful life. And I, you know, I did steps three, I did those three steps once and it was all very exciting and then it got hard so I gave up. I mean, how many of us have done that in our lives? <laughs> and Jesus says we can treat him that way. We can come along and we can go, yeah, that's a fantastic, that's awesome, but, but you know, um, You don't let God get really in very deeply. And so it doesn't last. It doesn't stick. The implication is to grow. Uh, we've got to listen attentively and humbly, as we said, so we're not impervious. But around the shallow thing, what that means is you've, for, it not, for us not to respond to God shallowly, we actually need to let the gospel, let Jesus get into the very core of who we are, right? What do I mean by that? Well, you can't, I mean, there's so much to say about that, and I've only got another hour or two to speak, so, uh, you know, I'll try and wrap it up. Um, we can't treat Jesus like a, a self-help, self-improvement project that we apply at the surface level for behavior modification, there was a long sentence. We, we can't treat Jesus just as another program or fad or diet that we use just to modify our behavior to fit in or to get rich or to uh, you know, get a little bit better psychologically adjusted. I mean, he can do all of that stuff for us, I guess, but that's, that's treating him very shallowly. What God wants to do is actually get into the very core of our being and change our fundamental orientation, what the Bible calls our heart, what we ultimately value. Uh, what, what God wants to do is come in and, uh, and restore and heal our core drives, our motivations, our hopes, our fears, our longings, our desires. And to do that from the inside, right? Um, here's another way of putting it. How do we grow spiritually? Well, how many of you have ever renovated a house? I see those hands. Okay, it's a fate worse than death almost. Okay, so you fixed up a house. Now, here's the thing, right? Um, 
you got a rundown old house, and it's a mess. Uh, the the you know the 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 bearers and the joists and all the things that it sits on on the ground are rotted through. The floors like this. Um, the the electrics are shot. And you buy the house, and you oh, it's fantastic. And um, yeah, but you know. I'm just going to paint the outside. I'm just going to pressure hose all the dirt off. I'm going to get a painter in and I'm going to, you know, cover it all with paint. And I'm going to hope that I fixed it then, right? You know, have you fixed it? No, you've just you've just made it look good on the outside. It's a shallow reno. You patch it up and then you flog it to some unsuspecting person who's desperate and they don't get a building and pest report and it falls down on them. That's not good. We can treat Jesus like that. We can come to God and we can go, just, just patch up the outside. Like I'm just, you know, maybe you're struggling with anger and you go, I just need you, I just need you to help me with my anger, right? Oh, just, just fix up my behavior. Maybe your marriage is in strife and you come to church and, and this happens. And if you're here for this reason, I'm like, this is a good start, Right. Um, over the years, come to church because your marriage is in strife. You know, I've tried everything else. Maybe I'll give God a shot and, and just patch up the marriage. That'll be awesome, God. And, and God says, yeah, look, I'm going to do that stuff because, you know, painting the outside of the house matters. But actually what God wants to do is get in and fix the foundations and rewire the electrics. Put in new plumbing. Oh. Put in new floors. Replace the ceilings. Fix up the very heart, the very core of the building. That's what he wants to do. Like it's a total rebuild, really. He says, let him get in deeply. I'll, I'll tell you the difference, right? Um, in our young parents group that, we, uh, that, we, that I'm privileged to be part of on Sunday mornings, we were looking at the topic of anger, right? So a shallow response to God is to say, I read the Bible and the Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. So I come to God and I say, God, help me not to be angry, right? You go, okay, I'm not being angry. And you, 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 you use God to modify your anger in your behavior. What's a deep response? Well, it's to let Jesus come in to actually bring about such a profound shift in you that over time you are no longer an angry person. He hasn't just changed your behavior. You've become somebody whose emotional response to life is under your control. And you're just not an angry person anymore. Does that make sense? Or, um, I mean, pick anything. Uh, pick greed. Maybe you know that that loving, that, that working so hard for money and, and, and cheating your customers and your clients at work and crawling over people at work and being manipulative and deceitful just to make more money, maybe you know that's not good. And maybe you're here because you, you want to fix that and you go, no, nah, it's really ugly and you know, maybe the tax office is after you and maybe you realize that's destructive. Uh, a surface level is coming to Jesus and going, okay, help me modify my behavior. And letting him into the core of who we are is actually helping is allowing God to go to work in our hearts so he takes us from being a greedy person to being a generous person and we no longer have the impulses of greed like what we actually what really drives us is not greed but generosity we're free of the love of money and we're full of the love of God and of others that's what it means to take the gospel into the core of who I am 
and we can apply that with everything. Uh, so the, the final way not to grow, if you, if you really want to not grow, is to be weedy. Is to be weedy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I love this. This is the verse. I have to say, when I, re when I read this, um, this is the one that gets to me personally. Um, my greatest challenge in life is that I'm pretty weedy. You may not look at it. You may think he's really swole. But actually, you know, I'm pretty weedy. And none of you got the joke. I'll try it again at five, and some of them there might get it. You know, just like, um, you're pretty weedy. So what, is it, what does it mean to be weedy? To be weedy is, um, uh, or thorny. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So a weedy person is somebody where the garden of your soul or of your heart is just choked by all these other things. And isn't that so easy? We respond to Jesus. He comes into our lives. We let him in deeply. Maybe we've had massive, profound, life-changing experiences with God. He's at work in our lives, and it is wonderful, and it's good. But here's the thing about gardens. I'm, I, I'm not a gardener, but what I've noticed and why I find gardening so frustrating and why this metaphor is so powerful is what grows quicker in your garden, the lawn or the weeds? The weeds. What grows quicker in your flower beds, the flowers or the weeds? The weeds. They just self-sow, and they just grow, and they grow, and they grow. You blink. And that what's most drought-resistant in your garden? The weeds. What flourishes in the shade? Weeds. What flourishes in the sun? Weeds. What flourishes when you fertilize? Weeds. What flourishes when you don't fertilize? Weeds. Everywhere. Weeds. It's very annoying. So it's best not to look, I find. You just I don't even look because like you go into the lawn and the more you look, the more you see. So don't even look because there are weeds everywhere. Here's the thing about gardening. It is a relentless battle against weeds. You, 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 the price of a good lawn is constant vigilance and glycophosphates. <laughs> yeah, someone found that funny. Thanks. So. Yes. Yes. It's constant because weeds. But you know what the annoying thing is spiritually, and it really is annoying, is my soul is like that, isn't it? And isn't your soul? I mean, goodness me, if we're honest, and that's an if, because sometimes in religion, honesty is perilous, right? But if we're really honest, you go, oh, it is so easy in my life. I just, if I do nothing about the state of my spiritual life, I will find myself worrying about this life. It's a weed that just grows. I mean, how many of us have been worried about things in the world and in our lives this week. We just worry about them all the time. And it distracts us. And it squeezes out the life because we're focusing on what we don't have. How many of us uh, just find the default reality is we start to trust our wealth rather than God? 
I mean, no one here, because, you know, we pull that weed out so quickly. It would never happen here on the Balmain Peninsula that we trust wealth rather than God, would it? All the time. And why wealth, as, as we were talking about in our small group on, on Thursday night? Because wealth gives us the illusion of control. So the deceitfulness of wealth is, it, it, it lies to me and tells me that I have control over this world. And if I've got enough of it, I can stop bad things happening to me. And if I've got enough of it, I can make sure that only good things happen to me. And so I accumulate wealth and I can, I can, I can start off life as this really super keen Christian who's had this profound experience of God, and I just find this massive, giant weed called the deceitfulness of wealth that just squishes me out. Um, I'm just looking out. I know, I know many of you here. How, what I've noticed in us middle-aged <laughs> religious people, and some of you aren't yet middle-aged, and others of you are older, what I've noticed as I get older is we can tend to look back on our spiritual journeys to a, to a time when life was simpler, right? When you were, in, when you were at university, maybe, and, and life was, and your Christian life was exciting and wonderful, and everything was ahead of you, and you were having these profound experiences and encounters with God. And, and what can happen, and what I see in my journeys around churches is, over time, churches can be full of Christian people, deeply spiritual people, but who are just not fruitful. The joy has gone. The fruit has gone. They turn up out of duty. They spend more time and energy fighting with each other, worrying about what they don't have, looking back on the past. And you go, why is that? It's not that they don't know God, because they do. Why? It's because they've spent... 20 or 30 years not paying attention to the state of their souls and relentlessly pulling out the weeds. And if you don't pull out the weeds, the weeds will take over the soul, your soul, and you'll find that you're unfruitful. The word won't bear much fruit because your desires for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worry, they'll just take over. You don't have to do anything in life but wake up and breathe for the weeds to grow in your heart, according to Jesus. And if you do that, you're going to be unfruitful. Now imagine that. Like for me, and I don't want this to feel too heavy, or maybe I do, <laughs> that's a chilling verse, isn't it? Isn't that like deeply concerning? It is for me. Maybe it's just me, but I look at that and I go, it seems that Jesus says, I can have, I can have God himself in my life but for it to actually make very little difference. I can be unfruitful. I like, wow. Imagine that. Imagine getting to the end of your Christian life and you die and you, you front up to Jesus and he looks at you and he goes, well, I'm so glad you're here. But what did you do with the 50 or 60 or 70 years I gave you on earth? <laughs> what did you do with it? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I can imagine hearing that from God, hey? Now, this isn't meant to inflict great spasms of guilt and self-loathing and shame in us. It's meant to be a, a word from Jesus to say, no, there's a better path. 
there's a better way. You've got to constantly pull out the weeds. You've got to work on the state of your soul. You've got to listen attentively, humbly, take the gospel into the core of your heart and go to war against the weeds. It's a war on weeds. As opposed to a war on weed. <laughs> Which hasn't really worked that well. But a war on weeds. It'll work, right? And, in the ch and I don't know, like we, I, as a church, family, right? That's what we want. we want. We want to be fruitful. We want God's life to flourish in us. So we've got to be honest about this stuff. Maybe sometimes, <laughs> I don't know, this might be a little bit, sometimes it's easier to see the weeds in someone else's garden. And maybe that's also part of the role of Christian community. We help each other spot the weeds that are growing that we haven't paid attention to. So, you know, have you noticed, Mark, that you know, you're starting to believe the lie that you're in control? Maybe, maybe you should do some work with God around that. And can I get alongside you and help you with that? Maybe we could be a church where we have that level of honesty and concern for the state of each other's souls. Just a thought. Maybe we don't want that. Uh, so the so the 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 seed, the soil, the sower. Everyone needs a sower. People need people to tell them the good news of Jesus, right? That's what needs to happen. We all need that. Um, that's what the Bible says. Um, the seed grows in the good soil to become people who in turn sow the seed in other people's lives. <laughs> when God is at work in us, the fruit that we're to bear is, to, is that the kingdom of God flows out from us and, and becomes accessible and available to others and transmitted to others. We are transmitters of this life. We're the vector in the viral spread of the seed of the gospel. That's the privilege that we have, right? That's the fruit. Now, now um, it, doesn't, uh, it means that we need to take every opportunity because everyone needs to hear, right? We, we need to help people come to know who Jesus is. Like, they really need it. And that doesn't mean you've all got to be an extrovert, like, evangelist in the sense of standing on street corners and yelling at people, does it? I mean, stop for it. Just think, who, who are the pe who's the person in your life who's had the greatest impact on your spiritual growth? Generally, it's not some person up front on a stage. It's a friend who's cared for you enough to talk to you about God and maybe bring you along to church. Maybe it's your grandma or your grandfather when you were a kid. Like, that's it. The, the, the goal of the Christian life, the, the fruitfulness, is just living so deeply and authentically connected to God with his life so richly inside of us that, that it just it flows into other people's lives. We need to take every opportunity. And we need to pray for good soil and for protection from Satan. Uh, we had a prayer meeting this week, Tuesday night. 21 people were there. It's awesome. We've got a church of 200. I think the church is only as big as its prayer meeting. <laughs> I was thinking to myself on that Tuesday night, I thought maybe what we should do is just close everything down and just pray as a church. Just pray and pray and pray. And do nothing else. Just pray. Say, come. Because God has to change hearts, right? It's got to change my heart. So that's what we should do. There's a thought, hey? Um, and then we should prepare and plan for a huge harvest. So Jesus said, um, if, you, if you 
avoid doing the things that will cause you not to grow. And you listen humbly and attentively. You take the gospel deeply into the core of your being. You constantly pull out weeds. There's going to be a massively exponential harvest. And now you might say, hang on, is that right? Well, think about Jesus. At the end of his life, how many followers did Jesus have? Well, like really none. I mean, maybe you actually you could include the women who watched from a distance. All the really important, the, the real followers, the men, they all disappeared. So he died a spectacular failure, didn't he? How many followers does he have today? Three billion? Maybe more? Like he's changed the world. Like that's a lot of fruit. Like it works. And, it, and I want to say it works not from the top down. The kingdom of God grows virally from person to person. That's how it's changed the world. We, we, we come into the presence, we connect with God on the arm of a friend. So we should plan and prepare for a huge harvest. That's what Jesus was saying. He knew, as he told this story to his followers, he knew that, that for the, the next three or four years it would look like a spectacular failure. <laughs> but he said, just you wait. Man, there's going to be a harvest coming. So I wonder... You know, we, we, I wonder, we need to pray and prepare and plan for fruitfulness. I mean, imagine if everybody, imagine if God used us, everyone in this room now, say, I don't know, there's 60 adults or something here now, I don't know, something like that. Imagine if every one of us, God used to help another 10 people connect with himself. Like that's 600. That could happen next year. Right? That wouldn't, how hard would that be? It's not that hard. You just got to pray like crazy, make yourself available, love them, serve them, put yourself in harm's way, and then and then say, Lord, I just want to be a blessing. Just let let's God, you know, just man, and that'll move us to pray. So I don't know. That would be interesting. And then if each of those six hundred then had an influence on another ten, well, year two, that's six thousand. You know, in thirty years, there'll be like six and a half billion people in our church. It'd be pretty cool. We need a bigger building, apparently. You know. And, and folk, and it's not about just getting people here. It's about wherever we go, in our workplaces, at school, at uni, in our neighborhoods. How do, we, how do we help other people connect with God? How do we let that life flow through us? And then we pray for fruit, right? And, and we have to do it authentically. We have to do it, I mean, I'm, you know, uh, you don't all have to be like me or like Billy Graham or like anyone else. You've just got to be you. But the fruit is of spiritual growth is that other people come to know Jesus. Uh, that is the fruit. It's changed the world and it'll continue to change the world. So let's pray and ask God to give us the ability to grow spiritually, to do this work in our lives. Lord God, uh, forgive us if we've been impervious and hard-hearted. Forgive us if we've been shallow Forgive us if we've been inattentive and lazy when it comes to the weeds in our lives. And this morning, Lord Jesus, I pray you'll do a work in us that, that your life and your love will penetrate very deeply to the core of who we are. You'll help us remove some of the weeds, even this morning. And then you'll fill us with a, such a sense of your presence and love that we just want others to know about it. And that that'll, that'll leak out of us this week. That'll bubble out of us. And that, that we will live fruitful lives for you. And we ask all of this in your name, Jesus.
Amen.